Uh, it's great to see you this morning here and welcome to our Sunday morning, our Sunday morning service. Uh, part of our service is to, is to be able to break bread together, or part of our morning rather is to be able to break bread together uh, and to also worship together and to listen to God's word. And so this morning, uh, for the next little while, I want to share with you from the word of God and pray that you are encouraged uh, and the Lord speaks to your souls. Every time we gather on a Sunday morning, I guess what we are doing is we're, we're sharing with you God's Word. And um, every Sunday morning when you hear God's Word, what is happening is that you're left having to make a decision. You need to make a decision every time you hear the Word of God. And we don't think to ourselves, um, we don't make a decision on Sunday morning. Um, that's kind of a bit foolish to think that, that we don't make a decision Sunday morning. So even if you walk away this morning from the Word of God and you walk away saying in your own heart and mind that um, I'm just going to leave that or I'm not going to f- do that or I'm not going to uh, think about that anymore, we're making a decision. Uh, we're making a decision to say to God himself, I'm not interested in you. And so every Sunday morning we come to listen to the Word of God, we come with making a decision in mind. And I pray that this morning that your heart and your minds are deciding to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. What they are deciding to do is to put the Lord first in everything. I pray that's your decision this morning. You're not putting me first. You're not putting this church first. God forbid you ever do that. But you put the Lord Jesus Christ first in everything. So when you leave this place, what you're most interested in is what the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to you. If I said to you, I'm going to share with you the greatest love story on this earth then, of course, that greatest love story would be the story of Jesus Christ coming and dying for your sins and for my sins. That the greatest love story in this earth would be that he would sacrifice himself, that you would know the Father, that you would know your Creator. And so if you um, are convinced that you can go find another greater love story than that, if if you are convinced that you can go and find someone who can love you greater than that, then that's fine, off you go. But I tell you the truth, in all the, all the searching in life, you will never find a greater, a greater one who loves you than the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this morning, I want to share with you um, the Word of God and pray that your hearts are stirred and, and are interested more and more in Jesus, more and more in Him uh, than anything else you could ever be interested in. So, uh, so welcome. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to bless His Word to us this morning as we open together and read and read the word of God. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your word that we are so privileged to come and to open up uh, in freedom, to listen, uh, and to, more importantly, Lord, to live by what you tell us. And Father, this morning I pray that you grant us um, the, uh, what we need, that, that your word is, is faithfully shared and our hearts are open and ready to receive. I pray this morning, Father, that the decision of every person who is listening to your word is a decision ready, ready to put you first uh, and to put you at the center of everything. And so, Father, we pray that your hand be upon us. We pray for those who are suffering at the moment. We pray for those who are grieving at the moment. Uh, We pray for those who are struggling at the moment. We pray your peace and your uh, presence be known to them that you'd lift them up, encourage them, Lord, encourage them with who you are and help them to understand and see that uh, um, you are strong when we in our own humanity feel weak, Lord. And we just pray that you continue to guide us and lead us in everything.
And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said earlier, every time we come to hear God's word, we come with a decision in mind. We either decide to put uh, him first and at the center of everything that we do, or we decide to put him somewhere else. And the Lord Jesus Christ, by his very nature, does not, does not expect anything other than the center of our lives. And we make that decision to do that. We place him at the center. And it's not good enough as Christians to put him anywhere close to the center of our lives. You know, if you think of a, um, a target, you think of the, the bullseye at the center, and we say to ourselves, you know, we're going to put Jesus Christ somewhere else, somewhere just outside that bullseye. You know, that's not how the Word of God teaches us. That's not what Jesus Christ expects from us. He is Lord of all, and he asks us to place, us, place him at the center of everything that we do. And it's quite deceiving for us to say to ourselves, I'll place him somewhere else, or I'll place him close to the center or I'll make him most of my life or I'll give him 99% of who I am and, and because I still don't want to really give up and relinquish everything of my life for him. That's somewhat deceptive for us because if we want to be honest and true to the word of God, God is calling us to give, give him everything of our lives and so he's asking us to place him at the center. And so as Christians, I want to ask you this morning, is Jesus Christ at the center of everything you do? At the center of of everything you say, at the center of every place that you work, at the center of every relationship that you have? Are you making him at the center of everything? Because that's what he asks from you. The blessings are great when you do that. The blessings are great. But the expectation is to have him at the center. And if you remember the last couple of times I've shared with you, we were looking at this passage. It's really, um, I think, a humbling passage in Second Corinthians when Paul refers to us as having a treasure in an earthen vessel. Remember that? Paul said, we have this great treasure in jars of clay. We have this great treasure in a, in a body that really is so fragile. And rather than God finding something really secure, like some sort of iron vault that he would not allow anything to penetrate, he places it in people like us. And he does that because he wants to demonstrate a very simple truth, that the power is not of ourselves, but the power is of God. And the, the things that we find ourselves doing and the things we find ourselves accomplishing in Christ is a real demonstration of who God is and what he's able to do rather than our own ego and what we think we can do. And that's a real good thing. That's a real sobering way of living because it brings us back to reality of who we are and it strips, if you like, the world of this idea and this, this, this notion that we are better than who we really are because we're not. We're not really that great. Sure, we are valuable and we are precious in the sight of the Lord. And if anyone touches us, they touch the apple of his eye. But really, we're not that great. And the sense that we're able to, we really are only able to do as much as we can do because of the Lord and the, the way he equips us and the way he helps us uh, in our lives. And so he places this treasure in earthen vessels. And you might remember that I quoted Isaiah uh, 64 when he says that really all our righteousness is like filthy rags before him. That when we our hearts are distant from God, when our hearts are not where they should be before the Lord, our righteousness and all the great things we think we do become like filthy rags before him. Filthy, stinky rags before him. Because we think somehow that living away from God or not giving ourselves 100% to God, but being able to accomplish all these good things somehow appease God. Well, it doesn't. Or somehow make us okay in life well it doesn't and life isn't some sort of scale or balance where we can do more good things and bad things and somehow God is okay with that it's not about that we don't live life like this 
And so God is very open to his people. He says, I see where your heart is at and I see where your, your minds are at and you're, you're trying to live life without me and all your righteousness and all your good things that you do, they are stinky rags before me. They need to be cleaned. You need to be cleaned. You need to be washed. And of course, we are washed today and we, we come to a place where we accept the forgiveness of our Lord Jesus Christ who shed his blood for us and washed us clean from all our guilt and all our shame. And then now we go and we do what we need to do. And we don't, God doesn't look at our righteousness as filthy rags anymore if we do it in the right way and we do it as knowing and understanding how much we depend on him. But they are, they are treasures in the sight of the Lord. He's placed this treasure in us, in fragile vessels. And so the Bible told, tells us, as we read a couple of weeks ago, the Bible tells us that the Lord didn't set his love on us or choose us because we were more in number than any other people because he told his people in Israel, for you were least of all peoples, but he chose you because he loved you. And so God didn't look at us as people before we came to know him and, and said to us, you know what, you are just so awesome, you people. You are just so amazing, you people. You are so many in number. You're going to be really, you're going to mean a lot to me because you are great in number and great in stature. He says, that's not why I chose you. He chose you because I loved you. And he continues to love us today and he continues to reveal to us something about ourselves today so that we can understand truly who we are because he loves us. And like a faithful father, a faithful father doesn't want his children thinking more of themselves than they ought to think. A faithful father doesn't put his children down, but speaks truth into his children's life and see them grow up and build them up in the right way, not pampering them in the wrong way, but rather loving them in the right way. And so this is God the Father to us. And I, I've been asking this question, are we walking with God because we think he needs us or because we need him? And we've got to come to a decision on that. We need to make that decision. And maybe the last two times you've heard me say that, you've kind of, it's gone in one ear and out the other and you've forgotten all about it. But I'm going to ask you again, are you walking with God because you think you, he needs you or because you need him? And so today, I want to share with you something of this um, wonderful passage that we've been looking at, this idea of we've got treasures and earthen vessels, that we follow him because we need him, not because he needs us. I want to share with you a story this morning in the Old Testament, the story of Gideon, which really highlights this, what I've been sharing the last couple of weeks in a story, in a true story. And I want us to see in this in this true story that how God is able to remind Gideon and his people that this great treasure they have is in earthen vessels. So that the demonstration of the power may be of God, not of them. So let's read it together. Let's go to the book of Judges. The book of Judges, chapter 7 in the Old Testament. And God, as he always faithfully does, works in the Old Testament as he's working in the New Testament. He's working all along and he's sharing with people, uh, he's doing his work in, in the lives of his people so that they may see and come to the truth of who God is. And Gideon's story in Judges 7 is, is something of what I hope um, you've been hearing the last couple of times I've shared. Gideon's story is God reminding me of how human I am so that he can remind me of how powerful he is. Do you understand that? And God does this. 
God is reminding Gideon just how human he is so that he can remind Gideon how powerful God is. And God does this for us as well. And it only takes God, doesn't take God a lot of effort to remind me of how human I am so that he can show me how powerful he is. And I like that idea. Though at the time it may not be comfortable, I like the idea of God reminding me how human I am. I'll tell you why I like that idea. Because, because for the first, one reason is because I don't have to go around living life thinking I have to achieve successfully at the best of everything I do. That if I fail something, it's a nice little reminder that, hey, you know what? That's who I am. I don't put that pressure on myself that if, if I don't do everything in life um, uh, successfully that somehow I haven't achieved life. If I don't do work always successfully, if I don't do uh, life always successfully, I don't, that doesn't mean I failed life. And God reminds me all the time because this is who you are. You need me. And when you take your eyes off me, I show you how human you are. But the other reason why I like this idea that God shows me how human I am in order to show me how powerful he is, is because I don't have to no longer say to myself that I'm only human. I don't have to walk around living life as if to say that I'm restricted only because I'm human, because God reveals to me how powerful he is in my humanity. I don't blame my humanity for my sin at all. That's wrong. That's not biblical. I don't blame my humanity for my sin. Rather, I bring it to the Lord and in the humility of man, I say, Lord, use this. And God shows how powerful he is to overcome sin in my humanity. Do you understand? That's why it's so good. It's so good for God to reveal my humanity only to demonstrate his power, his power in me. It was Hudson Taylor that said that God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. And that's what we're about to see. What we're about to see is God's work done in God's way, which never lacked God's supply in this beautiful story. So there's a couple of passages I want to read. They're a little bit longer than normal, but, but bear with me because I think I, I, I reckon you're going to really uh, value and treasure what is happening in this story. So let's read Judges 1. Sorry, Judges 7, uh, verses verses 1 to 7. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped besides the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites into their hands lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And whoever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, 
he shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to the mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you, and I will deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. This is a really amazing story. This is quite a fascinating story where God is actually working in the heart of Gideon and working in the heart of his people to reveal something about how human they are in order to reveal how powerful he is. And you can only imagine the experience of Gideon. You can only imagine what this man would have felt and experienced in his life as God's revealing things to him and how much throughout that process of God choosing the people he wanted to choose that Gideon's kind of hoping, grabbing onto something that just maybe, just maybe God's going to leave him with more than 300 people. But in this process, you can imagine perhaps Gideon's heart becoming quite disheartened as the process went on thinking to himself, surely, surely, I've got 32,000 people with me. Surely God's going to allow me to use them to go and go against the people who are against us. And we've got them anyway. They're here. Why not use them? I mean, they're, they're not, it's, not like, it's not like we haven't got them. It's not like we're looking for people. And so here's God trying to do something and, and God's revealing something to, to Gideon. God's revealing something to people because that's what God does. And everything that we read about God, everything that we read about his character, every time we read about what he's doing, God is revealing a little bit more about ourselves. And the more he reveals himself, he reveals something about us. When he reveals how great his love is, he reveals how great I need love. Do you understand? When he reveals how great his grace and mercy is, he reveals something of the need for my forgiveness. So God, as he reveals himself, he reveals something about me. And in this passage, God is revealing something about his power and his might and his ability with his little finger to conquer all things, but he's revealing something to Gideon about his own fears and his own humanity so he can trust him. The Bible tells us the Word of God is a beautiful, has a beautiful way of doing this because it actually reveals to us the thoughts and the intents of our heart. So when you go around saying to someone, I love you, God's Word is able to speak to your heart and say, no, you don't. You don't really love them because I heard you saying something about them the other day. That didn't show me that you love them. And so what God's word does, God's word is able to reveal the thoughts and the intent of the heart. It's able to reveal to us deeply what is going on, even if outwardly no one can see this. If we are honest before God, God reveals to us really what is happening. And this is the place where we come before God and we say, God, forgive me. Let the blood of Jesus Christ wash me clean of this and make me a better person because it's not me trying to pretend my way through my life. It's about me trusting and believing in the power of God to do what he has to do in me. So there's no, no point going, going around telling people how strong you are or how good you are when deep down God realize, knows and shows you how fragile you are and how needy you are. I think like the psalmist, what we do is this. We say, search me and know me, Lord. 
and God reveals more and more about this. So Gideon's an interesting story. He's an interesting man because God is, is bringing, he, there's, a, there's a battle at hand. There's a battle that's just around the corner and he has 32,000 men and God wants to reveal something to him about how powerful God is. But if we go back a step, we see something about Gideon's life or something about his background that he was sort of like the kind of man who didn't really have a lot of confidence in who he was. You a bit like that? He really didn't have a lot of confidence in perhaps his position his life, um, his respect. He didn't really think himself somehow to be something great. Maybe people might argue and say he had a bit bit of a low self-esteem. I don't know. But Gideon, Gideon didn't think highly of himself. When God first spoke to him, the Bible says this back in the previous chapter. The Bible says, The Lord turned and said to Gideon, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And then Gideon turns around and says, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So Gideon's response to God is this, God, what do you mean I'm going to save Israel from the hand of the Midianites? Don't you realize that my, my family or my extended family, we're, we're, we're pretty low. We've got a pretty low status in Manasseh, in our tribe. And then not only that, but then me, I'm like the least in my family. And so he really didn't think highly of his abilities. He really didn't think highly of what he was able to do. And I wonder what brought him to this place. I wonder what, imagine what made him think like this. Was this him really thinking in reality that he had no strength apart from God? Or was he entertaining something different? Was it fear that was getting in the way? Was it the fact that he was judging what he was able to do by his experiences and the fact that he always failed in life? Or was it because he listened to people's voices who always said to him, you're nothing, you can't do this. I don't know what it was, but he didn't think much highly of himself. And I tell you the truth, brothers and sisters, when we judge ourselves by what other people think of us or our experiences in life rather than the truth of God can be quite damaging, can be quite damaging. Remember David, when David uh, was a little boy and he... um, his brothers were out in the battle against Goliath. And his uh, dad says to David, David, go, go, take them some food. And David's a curious boy. He goes and takes his food to his brothers. And while he's there, he's wondering what's going on. And he asks one of the guys, what's going to happen if someone defeats this man? And he's curious. He's sent by his dad faithfully to deliver food to his brothers. The Bible says when Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men that Eliab's anger anger was aroused against David, and he said to them, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride, and I know the insolence of your heart, for you have have come down to see the battle. (laughs) Poor guy. He was just sent by his dad. He was sent by his dad to bring some food, and his brother sees him talking to the men. He says, oh, what are you doing down here? You should be with the few sheep looking after them. I oh, know you're a proud man. You're, you're a proud boy. You, you know, your heart is hard. You just come to see the battle. You know? And he's complete judging this man for something he wasn't. But this is what happens in life. People can misunderstand you completely and they have, they have a perception about you that's totally wrong. Maybe Gideon felt like that. 
Or maybe Gideon was truly humble. Maybe he was a humble man. Maybe he saw himself really least and not able to do much. Because there is a good humility. There is a good humility in life where we walk around understanding our position before God. A little bit like Isaiah where I say to God, Woe is me for I am undone because I am a man with unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah 6. Yes, Isaiah understood there is a humility before God that is true and that is good. We don't think ourselves to be more highly than we ought to think. We ought to think ourselves lowly before the hand of the Almighty God. Precious and valuable but lowly in what we were able to do. And I think Isaiah was able to see this in a good humility. But I wonder what Gideon felt. Because we know that while there is a good humility, we know there's also, the Bible talks about a false humility, don't we? And we don't want to live life with a false humility. We don't want to live life sounding like we're humble. We don't want to live life um, pretending we're humble. We don't want to live life telling people how humble we are when we're not really humble. We don't want to, I don't know what, I don't know how I can explain false humility to you, but you know, maybe sometimes false humility is, is, is sounding, trying to sound humble in how we speak. Maybe trying to um, um, act humble in how we, how we uh, our, our demeanor. Or it's maybe how we speak about the things we do. And we say things like, oh, if it wasn't for God, I couldn't do this. And we try and do this to create a humility about ourselves. But really, it's a, it's a false humility. And I'm not saying that phrase is a false humility. But what we try and do, if there's a false humility. So I don't know. I don't know how to describe a false humility. But I can tell you this for sure. When you have a false humility and your pride gets touched, then you're no longer humble. Do you understand? That's how you know if you've got a false humility. Because it's weird to say, I'm a humble person until someone touches my pride. That's a weird thing to say, isn't it? Like, I'm only humble, I'm humble, I'm humble. But then the reason I'm not humble now is because they touched my pride. What do you expect me to do? Well, hang on a second, that's wrong. Because when you're humble, your humility has victory over your pride. It's not humble, 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 oh, prick, pride. And now I'm proud. No, it's because you are humble. Pride has no victory over you. Do you understand? It's like, um, I'll give you an example. It's like, I don't know, um, I'm speaking to a friend, and let's, I'm speaking to one friend, and, and let's say we're talking about another friend called Jacob. And a friend comes up to me and says, oh, poor Jacob, he's not doing too well. And he's making some poor decisions. He seems to be walking in the flesh. He seems to be quite a carnal man at the moment. And I say to my mate, look, don't worry. Let's just be humble. Let's love him. Let's care for him. Let's pray for him. And my friend says, oh, wow, that's, that's pretty humble of you, you know. And, I, and I'm saying all these right things to my friend about Jacob. But then the next day I hear that Jacob speaks about me. <laughs> and he says something about me. Oh, he's not a good man. He never helps me. He's a proud man. And all of a sudden, I feel my pride rise, and I react. Well, you know what? Everything I said the day before meant nothing. It's just false humility. We should pray for him. We should love him. We should be humble. It's false humility. Because at the end of the day, it's not 
how I act or what I say. It's why I'm living. It's that whole thing that God has brought in me and understanding that I walk humbly before my God, that when pride does come, the evidence is that I'm walking in humility, is that pride is not being touched to the point where I'm caused to react in ways that Christ would not react. Do you understand? And so here, Gideon is responding, if you like, in some ways, what might be humility, it might be. And God wants to reveal to him what needs to happen to show Gideon how much God is in control. So he says in verse 2, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are far too many for me to give to the Midianites in their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me and says that my own hand has saved me. Why does God even say that? Why does God say, you know, you're 32,000 men that you've got, that's too many. Why is God even concerned that Israel might say that my own hand has saved me? That they should boast like this? Why is God even worried about that? Is God threatened in some ways? Is God threatened that somehow his people are going to think that they're stronger than God? Of course not. God's not threatened by the fact that that people might think that somehow they have strength more than him. God is concerned because we know the danger that pride brings to people. God is concerned because we know how dangerous pride is. You think about it for a moment. Pride at the center of everything destroys so many things that by their very nature are beautiful and lovely. It destroys marriages when it's at the center of things. It destroys friendships. It destroys parents and children. When pride is there, it eats away and kills things. And people know, just God knows how dangerous pride is. God knows how dangerous if pride is sitting at the core of your heart and it's dominating you and it's causing you to respond things, it's going to kill you because pride comes before a fall. And so God's very concerned about Israel lest they become proud. I think pride is a, is a horrible way to live because when we start to think to ourselves that we're somehow better than God or that in everything we do, we can always do, we can, we're always going to succeed somehow, that's a very tiring way to live. If you want to live life thinking that every time you come across a task that you have to come across that you've got this task, if that's how you want to live your life, that you've got it apart from God, go for your life. It's a, it's a very tiring way to live. But when we trust in the living God, when we trust that God has this, that God has what is before us, then we're able to lean in and believe in the power that is given to a people who are in earthen vessels. So he says to him in verse 3, he says, um, Now therefore proclaim against, uh, sorry, proclaim the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned. 22,000. Wow. His question to the people is this. If you're scared, go home. And I can only imagine Gideon's thinking to himself, oh, please don't be scared. If you're scared, go home. That says to me that what was before them 
would have been quite to them quite appeared to them quite dangerous because you don't get nearly what just over sixty percent of the people leaving if something before them was an easy thing, would you? Suggests to me that what they were facing in their own hearts and minds felt very risky, felt very dangerous. For them, for their, for twenty-two thousand people to leave, says to me, they would have genuinely felt afraid. But what does that mean for the people who were left? What does that mean for Gideon and his men? They've still got a battle they have to fight. They've still got a task ahead of them that already they've been stripped back more than 60% of their army. What are they meant to do now? And you can only imagine Gideon in his heart, he's thinking to himself, like shocked, watching all these people walk away. Thinking to himself, okay, we're going to be able to do this with with 10,000 people. Are we going to be able to do this? Is this going to be, and how many times we feel the same way? Are we going to be able to do this now that even another thing has, has come my way? Another thing has confronted me. Another thing has made it harder for me. Another thing has made me feel like I can't do this. Now it's another thing Gideon has to face. Not only, not only the way he felt about himself, but now, but now the fact that he went from 32,000 down to 10,000 people. So there is this stripping back that God is doing. Why? to demonstrate the power and the love that God has in the situation. Let's not kid ourselves. This would be absolutely terrifying for Gideon. Terrifying. Because not only was the task ahead of him huge, but now he's being stripped back by everything he might have depended on. Do you get what I'm saying? So maybe Gideon at this point is thinking to himself, okay, we've got 10,000. <laughs> we've got 10,000. We can do this, 10,000. So then God says in verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, but the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I'll test them there for you. Now at this point, at this point, I would love to know what Gideon was thinking. And if I could get a chance in heaven to ask him, At that point, what were you thinking? God, there's still too many? God, you're trying to tell me that still at this point, I I have to get rid of some? How are you expecting me to have a victory here? You've stripped me of everything that I feel I could hold on to and you still want me to have victory? You've placed me in such a vulnerable position, and then you're taking me to a more vulnerable position, and you're still telling me I can have victory? Yes. So the demonstration of the power may be of God and not of us. So he says, he says to him, okay, I want you to go and I want you to test the people. Uh, some people bend their knees and they lap the water like a dog laps and other people get their hand and they lap like this with the water. And, and then at this point, he separates them. On one hand, there's 300 people. On the other hand, there's 9,700 people. And I reckon at this point, Gideon's thinking, I know who God is going to choose. I don't think it's the 9,700. I reckon at this point, he's probably resigned himself to the fact God's going to choose the 300. 
Because he didn't tell him, the ones who do this, I'm going to choose. He just says, let them go and drink the water. And those who did this were 300, so he set them apart. And those who did this were 9,700, and he set them apart. And then he said, let these guys go home. Now, you know, we can get into the reasons why these people were chosen, these people weren't, weren't chosen, and we can talk about that on another time if you want. But he chose the 300. And I think at this point, Gideon was needing, um, was realizing how much he needed to depend completely on God. But interestingly, he was still scared. Because these emotions aren't the things that dictate truth, are they? Just because you still feel scared doesn't mean you're not trusting God. And this is where he then goes into the next phase of what he wants to do. And in a moment, well not in a moment, sorry, next time I share with you, I want to share with you how God uses this situation to take Gideon, even in his own fear, and continue to work with him to show him that at the end of the day, this strength that you have, Gideon, is not a strength that you can boast in, but a strength that comes from me. So I don't know where today, I don't know today where your heart is at. If you live life, putting yourself at the center and feel like you have the strength to be able to live life and the strength to be able to do things and, 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 and you, feel, you feel a sense of comfort and peace and rest in that. Or whether you are in a place where God is confronting the strength you have, confronting the ability you have, confronting your, your natural abilities or talents and at the end of the day what he's revealing to you more and more can't fight this unless you fight it in my strength. You can't conquer this unless you conquer it in my strength. And I believe what God is reminding us is how important it is to place him at the center of everything that we do. That God is reminding us that our treasure is not a treasure that is placed in strong vessels. Our treasure is a treasure placed in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of him. I'm going to pray for us this morning. Let's bow our heads and pray. Let's ask the Lord this morning to continue to reveal to us more and more how in our own fragile state, His strength is still perfect. That God will reveal more and more to us that in our own vulnerable human state, that he has power to conquer all sin and he has power to give us strength through all things because that's who God is. And as he reveals more and more about himself, he... Um, 
lovingly reveals more and more about ourselves and just who we are. And we're grateful to God for this. Let's just uh, come before the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we don't want to walk in a false humility. We don't want to go around just pretending that we believe in the power of God or use words that show that we trust in the power of the Lord. But we want a true humility that is able to walk in faith, believing in what the Lord is doing and what He's able to do through us. Because we live it, we demonstrate it. It's practiced. Pride has no victory over us. But we walk in the humble steps of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you, my God, for who you are, how great and mighty and powerful you are, Lord God. And you call us as the apple of your eye to come into your presence, into your company, to know that you are great and you are powerful and that we come clinging and depending on you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank you, Father, that you reveal more about yourself, that you can reveal more about us. And we just want to bless you and praise you this morning. May we walk in humility, Lord. May we walk knowing our position before you. We walk, Lord, knowing how much you love us, but how much we are dependent on you. And we are not embarrassed and we're not ashamed to say that we need the Lord. We trust in the Lord. We hold on to the Lord. Our Lord is our strength. Our Lord is our song. Our Lord is our deliverer. We thank you for this. Bless your people, Lord. Make your face to shine upon them this week. May their truth, may the truth continue to dig deep into their souls that they may cling more and more to their saviour in everything and in all things father we pray in jesus name